Hello and welcome to Balderdash Academy. I'm your headmaster, Bob LeBlanc. Joining me is our faculty, Professor of Home Ec and Wellness, Marie Stewart Harmon. Hello, everybody. Professor of STEAM, Nate Green. Hi. <laughs> Coach, Balderdash Academy Dashers, Steve Corning. Let's go, Dashers. And our reigning champion, Professor of English Language Arts, Molly McGill. I have a pocket full of dog treats. <laughs> <laughs> our visiting professors today are playwrights Andy Baiades and Ginevra Gallo Baiades, co-writers of 45 Plays for 45 Presidents, 45 Plays for America's First Ladies, and The Lowell Offering. Links are in the description. We're going to talk about them later. Andy and Ginevra have agreed to be the scorekeepers tonight while our faculty members compete for the coveted reigning champion banner. They will do their best to compete in a series of competitions at the end of which Ginevra and Andy will assign points to a competitor they feel is most worthy. Mm. They are not looking for the correct answer, but the best answer. The points are arbitrary and can be given to anyone for any reason. At the end of the show, the faculty member with the highest point total will be named the reigning champion. Defending her title is three-time reigning champion Molly McGill. Oh, let's go. Three times. Three times. Everyone dance yeah. it out. <laughs> That sound means that it is now time for a pop quiz. Our first pop quiz is from the professor of English language arts, reigning champion herself, Molly McGill. What do you have for us, champ? Hey, everyone. Welcome to another lovely faculty meeting. And welcome, our visiting professors. Thanks for joining us tonight. As you all know, we always kick it off with a word of the meeting. I'm going to say a word, and our faculty are going to try to figure out what that word means. And then at the end, you two will pick which ones that you think you like the best, individually or together. Tonight's word of the meeting is... Sardoodledum. Tonight's word is sardoodledum. 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 Nate. Nate. Yep, Bob. Oh, sardoodledum. Uh, sardoodledum is a Mediterranean term. It comes actually from the south of Italy. And what it refers to is drawing with sardines. Oh, you take the live fish, you dip it into ink... If you can get it, squid ink works best, but today's day and age, we're not picky. So what we do is we take that sardine, put it on a piece of paper, slap the table a couple of times. Next thing you know, organic art. Absolutely. That makes makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Bob, uh, I mean, uh, Nate, what do you have? Uh, sardoodledum is, um, it's, it's more of an age. It came right after the Dark Ages. Uh, rather than having kingdoms, they had sardoodledums. And um, and it happened because there wasn't a lot of writing in the Dark Ages. So instead of sir, you know, uh, the dialects changed it to sar. It's like, how you doing, sar? Um, they were pirates. And um, and it was just called the Age of Sardoodledum. Yes. That, that sounds illogical. Thanks. <laughs> Steve, what do you got, buddy? Um, so, you know, in, in different cultures, they have uh, very specific words for very specific things. Um, and this one comes from Norway, of course. And y you've heard of um, 
uh, measurements of weights being very specific, like stone, things like that. Well, sardoodledom in Norway, this is uh, the feeling of having weight uh, in your front pant pocket um, from having too many dog treats inside of it. Sardoodledom. <laughs> right, right. Wow, really, really spot on for tonight. Marie, <laughs> what do you got? Sardoodledom. Um, sardoodledom is actually a, um, a coma that small children go into after eating too many snickerdoodles. It's that, oh, it's the high of the sugar, too many snickerdoodles, and they pass right out to solid, like, 28 minutes, and then they come, they bounce right back, and it's terrifying after that. Do not let your toddlers get sardoodledum. That wow, sardoodledum hangover is awful. Yeah, it's a killer. Wow, those are great. So we have Bob's sardine writing. We have Nate's uh, replacement of kingdoms, sardoodledums, because they're pirates. We also have Steve's Norwegian front pocket weight. And we have Marie's sugar crash. How would you like to award points? Mm. What do you think? Okay. Well, so I've got to give a point to Bob for growing up with him. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yay, nepotism! Lean into it. I like. Um, I want to give. I want to give a couple of points. I'm, I'm a fan of history and illogic. Mm-hmm. So Nate really had me. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. And that, do I have to give points to everybody? No. Nope. You give anybody you want, or as little any. Yeah. Yeah, anything. And then added to that, I'm going to give 25 points to um, to Bob uh, because I thought that it sounded disgusting and it was extremely natural. <laughs> um, and then I'll give 26 points to Nate um, because of the pirate reference. Aye. All right, Excellent. Andy, what did you want to give to Nate? 26 points. Oh, and I, I, I think I said two. I was really yeah. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's good. That's that makes okay. sense. It's a New England thing. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so sardoodledum obviously is not any of what you said, but mm. fairly, fairly close. It's more of something that the two of you might want to um, bring into your craft here um, while you're writing. It is actually another word for a melodrama. So in writing mm. your next script, you might want to do a melodrama. A sardoodledum. A sardoodledum. sardoodledum. <laughs> can I give can I give points to Molly? Yes, yes of course. Yes. Oh, good. Let's give yeah. her at least ten or fifteen points. What do you at, think? At minimum. Yeah, minimum. Okay. Twelve. I love you. Twelve point five. Twelve and a half points. Uh, so right now our scores are Nate with twenty-eight points. He is in the lead. I am next with twenty-six. Molly, our reigning champion, is falling behind with 12 and a half points. Our next game, our first game, (laughs) is called Four Questions. So, in honor of our visiting professors shows 45 plays for 45 presidents and 45 plays for America's first ladies, which will have its digital world premiere with the neo-futurists this fall, our four questions will be about the president's. Of the United States. Ooh. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, boy. So whichever, <laughs> whichever one of our boy. faculty members gives the best answer, not the correct, right. but the best answer, Ginevra and Andy will award points. Our first question. Being 
only one of two presidents to sign the U.S. Constitution. James Madison is also known for what? Molly. For being a booze hound. So he used to rage it back in the day. Whole kegs, he used to do keg stands. Um, and he'd roll them down hills and do the thing where you're walking on them rolling down hills. He was known as Mad Dog Madison, the booze hound. That makes sense. That makes sense. Mad Dog Maddie. Nate, what's your answer? Well, uh, as everybody knows, James Madison's dad was a... Uh, the word that describes somebody who makes hats. Um, a hat smith. A hat smith. Yeah, a hatter. A hat. uh, and he was he was a mad. <laughs> he was a mad hatter. Um, and uh, so James Madison uh, is the only president that uh, that he, of course Madison is son of Mad Mad Hatter. Uh, so only son that was uh, father was a, a hatter. Oh, that's my one, Nate. That's my answer. It took me a while to get there. (laughs) Marie, what's your answer? Um, Little did anybody know James Madison had this really, really bad habit that became well known after his death because on the Constitution, there were teeny tiny, the idiot's bittiest droplets of blood because he picked his fingernails and he chewed his nails and he like, so when he was signing, there was these tiny little sparklets of, of blood that came off of his hands. And it wasn't known until the DNA testing of later. We, we have DNA tested the Constitution and confirmed it is Madison's picking his fingernails and biting his nails. All right. Washiad, Jeffy, Maddie, the finger picker. Steve, what do you have? All right. Now, history, you know, kind of we, we can only see these people through history and through textbooks and, and all this stuff. So sometimes we kind of forget the full image of who they were at that time. A lot of people think of him as like a cold man. Uh, based on what we read about him. But actually, he was well-known at the time for giving affectionate hugs to literally everyone he met. Uh, He would just go in there, he would squeeze, he would hold you tight, tenderly. Um, He would whisper just just sweet sentiments into your ear. He was one of those guys that would give you just kind of a gentle massage as you're kind of sitting there in his arms. Oh, just Um, got creepy. Okay. No, not creepy at all. Not in the creepy way, just kind of in a a very well-meaning sort of way. And uh, What kind of way? Obviously, before his, his... uh, his famous State of the Union address, uh, he went around and gave a hug to every single person in the chamber. So there you go. Affectionate hugs, James Madison. Not not creepy, right. just normal, so, normal massage hugs, yeah. The hugger normal. mugger. So we have Molly, uh, Maddie was a booze hound, Nate with a mad hatter, uh, Marie, he picked his fingernails, and Steve, he was an HR issue waiting to happen. <laughs> The (laughs) real answer was James Madison was the shortest president at five feet, four inches tall Mm. and just 100 pounds. So (laughs) I'm afraid to ask, how would you like to score? (laughs) I've got to give five whole points to uh, Molly. It was... It's particularly funny that you said that he was a booze hound who went around hugging people. He was actually really, really shy and had like a mousy voice. And his wife, his wife was a booze hound, actually, who, who went around hugging people. Um, so, yeah, and was ta- much taller than he was. But, yeah, I got I to gotta give it to, to, to Molly for making me laugh the hardest. Five points. Yay. Thank you. 
So, and I'm, I would, I'm going to give uh, 10 points to Steve uh, for the HR issue. Um, I'm going to give uh, five points to Marie for using the word sparkling, sparking. Which one? I was trying to go for droplet, but sparklet is what came out. <laughs> we managed and to it's better. On the Constitution. Yeah, that was very funny. And then 20 points um, for, for, the, for the awesome imagery. That was great. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Mad Dog. The next question. One of the tallest presidents, Abraham Lincoln, famously wore a stovepipe hat. Aside from using it as an actual hat, Lincoln used the lid for what? Nate. Uh, well, the toilet system wasn't as good as back then as it was now. So he actually uh, was ahead of the curve and started storing toilet paper in his hat. Uh, for use. He would just use one square at a time. It was very uh, sparsely spread out. Um, but that's what he would use it for. All right. Toilet roll, Marie. Um, he... Uh, similar to Madison in his affectionate hug giving, Abraham Lincoln loved babies, so he would pose with little babies sitting inside of his hat, and that would be like he'd just prop the baby right inside and then smile for the the triptych camera. Very very long, taking taking a long time. The baby had to sit very still for very long inside of the hat. The tin type, tin type. That's what it is. <laughs> So he loved his babies for Brady. Steve, what do you have? Um, he, in, or, in addition to wearing the hat and looking quite fashionable, he also uh, used mm. it to collect coins on the street. Now, uh, Abraham Lincoln was, of course, a street performer, uh, juggler, fire eater, fire breather, um, acrobat, contortionist. Uh, he could twist both of his legs around his neck like a, a giant pretzel. Um, most Very of this has been legs. scrubbed from history because they, they thought, you know, all being in addition to being a president, being a street performer was maybe a little unsightly. But um, this is actually a fact that he would go on the streets when he was feeling a little bit down about the Civil War or whatever was going on and uh, just do some incredible stunts for, for the people. <laughs> All right. The, the great emancipator is a stuntman. Molly. That's a good stage name, actually. <laughs> the great emancipator. Um, <laughs> Funny you should say that, Steve. He was an actual wrestler. <laughs> oh wow that's great so molly what do you have okay so um little do people know but he um had a little yorkshire terrier dog it was his best friend he traveled with him wherever he went um his name was pepper and so what he would do with his hat is he would it doubled as a frisbee for pepper and pepper went with him everywhere and so he just you know, be out with Pepper and he'd be taking a break, take it off, play a little Frisbee with the little yippity yapper, put it back on, put Pepper uh, under his arm, sometimes even under the hat, and go on his way to, uh, you know, be president. <laughs> All right. That makes sense. So we have uh, Nate. He kept it uh, his TP roll in there. Marie loved babies inside his hat for photos. Steve collected uh, <laughs> coins because he was a busker. You know, picking up coins did not give him a lot of good luck, Steve. No. And uh, Molly, he used it as a dog toy. <laughs> the actual answer was Abraham Lincoln often stored things like letters and documents in his hat. It was basically a briefcase. Hmm. How would you like to score? 
sweaty briefcase. <laughs> we need to take yeah. turns scoring. Did I yeah. jump the gun each time? No, 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 no. Sorry, no, patriarchy. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Sorry, patriarchy. You take this one. Well, you first, Leslie? Abe Lincoln, so well. No, I'm saying we take turns. Like, do this game all the Okay. Fair. Okay. This. So this is a tough one, actually. I liked yeah, all of these. Uh, so I got to give everybody at least a point. Okay. And I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give Steve a total of four points and Marie a total of three points. Mm. Yes. Thank you. All right. All right. Very nice. Our next question: Franklin D. Roosevelt was the first president to appear on television. John F. Kennedy was the first president who was a Boy Scout. What was Martin Van Buren the first president to do? <laughs> Marie. Um, it, it was pee off of the Brooklyn Bridge. He, <laughs> he just stood there right on the edge and was like, I don't want to get to the other. Like, it's too far to the other side. I might as well just. <laughs> so, yeah, he was the first one to pee off the Brooklyn Bridge. Hey, does a president pee off the bridge? Steve, what do you have? Uh, he was the first person to eat a Reuben sandwich in public. Um, now, you and your sandwiches. A no. lot of people really frown on the, especially in the time of eating a Reuben sandwich, um, just because of the implications. Um, and he kind of wanted to support the uh, the world where that came from. Um, and it was kind of a political statement at the time. He ate that Reuben sandwich, the entire thing, uh, small side of coleslaw as well, um, in front of the uh, Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> Was that, that was that there? <laughs> no. Okay, in front of what would then become Lincoln <laughs> Memorial someday. And he, he was prescient. He had a premonition at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it gave him power. All right, Molly, what do you have? <laughs> well, everyone knows being president is that it is a tough gig. I mean, look at all of our presidents at the end of their terms. They are gray and haggard. So Van Buren was no different. It was really hard. So he wanted to spice things up. He wanted to put a little personality into his presidential uh, term. And so what he did is he was the first president to dare, dare, say I, wear mismatched socks. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. And every public speaking event, when he would sit down and his pants would ri- rise, the crowd would gasp. How could a president Making do a something like that? Making a statement. Wow. But it yeah. gave him the comfort, gave him a little little control over his, uh, his, his presidency. All right. Makes sense. Nate, what do you have? Uh, he was the first president to uh, write a screenplay. At the time, it was a play. That's almost as bad as what I said. <laughs> at the time, well, it, at, listen, I'm not making this up. I, at the time, it was Sorry. a play. Um, it was a play. <laughs> it never got performed or produced or anything. It was under a pen name um, and or a pseudonym. And uh, it eventually, when it was orig- when it was eventually produced, uh, it was done in on film, uh, and it was The Purge. It <laughs> <laughs> does make sense. He wrote it. No. <laughs> All right. He wrote it. This does add up. <laughs> All right. So Marie, he peed off the Brooklyn Bridge. Steve first to eat a Reuben in public. Molly dared to wear mismatched socks, and Nate he wrote The Purge. Mm-hmm. All answers. 
None of them right. Answers. So you actually had a twofer here. You could have gone one of two directions. The first, Martin Van Buren was the first president who was born a U.S. citizen. Oh, okay. So prior to that, all the other presidents were born British subjects. The other, Martin Van Buren was uh, the only president to have English as a second language. His native language was Dutch. Oh, Dutch. He was the first U.S. citizen, but he didn't speak English as his first language. Yeah, interesting. Where where did you grow up? So he he would fit in great with today's politics. Ginevra, (laughs) how would you like to score? (laughs) All right, I'm going to give Molly five points. Steve, 10 points. Marie, uh, let's see, yeah, Marie, 15 points, and Nate, 20 points. Wow. That's big stuff. Thank you. I was really right, excited Andy. there that I got first. <laughs> I know, it feels good. And then you're like, oh, wait. And it kind of just went, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Andy, would you like to take a crack, or are you fine with those as they stand? I am going to let those stand, but I will say that Martin Van Buren is a distant cousin of mine. Oh, very oh, cool, yeah. And he was fantastic. a delightful I man. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he was a fish. I forgot about that. We had a lot of hairs, I think. We're going to bring it to a little bit modern-ish. Harry S. Truman was known for his famous The Buck Stops Here sign. Uh, he's known for dropping the bomb on Japan. What does the S in Harry S. Truman stand for, Steve? Uh, obviously sarcophagus. Um, and I don't need to delve too deeply into this, but his, his parents were obviously historians and, uh, uncovered graves in Egypt. And, uh, they thought they'd just throw a little bit of, uh, their family history into Harry's name. Sarcophagus. Harry Sarcophagus Truman. Those famous Missouri pyramids. Molly, what do you have? Um, uh, earpiece that's falling out. Um, the S... (laughs) And Harry S. Truman's name stands for sugar because it's his mama just loved him so much. She tried and her parents really tried for a really long time to have a child. And finally he came along and they were just like, my little sugar baby. And so it's Harry Sugar Truman. And that's all I got right off the cuff. That's great. Nate, what's your answer? (laughs) Uh, His parents actually spoke parcel tongue. So it was just a bunch of S's. Uh, It was just Harry (laughs) Truman. Uh, which, of course, is parcel tongue for Herman. For Herman. Mm-hmm. Harry yeah. Herman Truman, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So it's perfect sense. Marie, what do you have? Um, it's actually it's Sylvester. An it's Sylvester. His middle name was Sylvester. Um, and it actually is so important because the Looney Tunes character was actually named after Harry <laughs> Sylvester Truman. Mm. <laughs> All right. All right. So that... That makes a lot of sense. So we have Steve, it's sarcophagus. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you call me first. Molly, sugar, his mama loved him. Nate, it was Herman in Parseltongue. And Marie, it was September. The uh, Sylvester, rather. The Sylvester. real answer is that it does not stand for any name mm. at all. Uh, the S in Harry S. Truman was a compromise between the names of his grandfathers, Anderson Ship Truman mm. and Solomon Young. Hmm. So All how right. would you like to score? Hmm. Oh, is it my turn now? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I think I laughed the hardest uh, with Nate, so we'll go there. We'll see. Nate got five points. We'll just do that. Nice. Nate got five. 
All right, Ginevra, you want to add on to that or are you okay? I'm okay. I'll okay. let Andy no, be, be stingy. <laughs> All right. So, our points. In last place, we have Marie with 24 points. Next, we have Steve with 25. I Ooh, follow with 27. Wow. Bob. Molly with 43 and one half. And Nate is in the lead <laughs> with 54. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So, join us as we return for a chat with playwrights Ginevra Gallo-Baetis and Andy Baetis only on Balderdash Academy. Go Dashers! Listening is cool and all, but watching gives you so much more. See the players' real-time reactions, flub-ups, and all the snark that intern Alan Smithy can dole out on the running commentary. Only at Balderdash Academy's YouTube channel. We are here today with visiting professors Andy Baetis and Ginevra Gallo Baetis. Andy Baetis is a playwright and brand journalist who lives in Chicago area. He's the creator and co-writer of 45 Plays for 45 Presidents and 45 Plays for America's First Ladies. First Ladies will have its digital world premiere with the neo-futurists this fall. We will talk about that. He's recently written two plays with a Merrimack rep in Massachusetts, Lost Labs, The Slapstick Tragedy of Fatty Arbuckle, which I have seen. He wrote that with co-writer Aaron Minaz. And the coronavirus-delayed play, The Lowell Offering, which he co-wrote with his wife, Ginevra gallo Ginevra is a social media marketing writer and playwright. She is a co-writer on the aforementioned 45 Plays for 45 Presidents, 45 Plays for America's First Ladies and The Lowell Offering and has been published by Haymarket Press, Commonplace Books, Play Scripts, and Hope and None Things. Andy and Ginevra, welcome to Balderdash Academy. <laughs> it's like you guys work well together or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm a playwright when the pandemic hit. I spent about two weeks with cancellation after cancellation after cancellation. And then I started reworking my work to go online digitally. Um, It's been a godsend, but it's also had its complications. So how is that working with 45 Plays for America's First Ladies? How is that transition from a stage show to a virtual show working for you? I, yeah, this show has disruption in its DNA. So we we like we came up with it in 2016 um, during the, the election. We had the most awesome ending ever. Oh yeah, it was like a first lady <laughs> was going to become president. We were going to have our I first know. first dude, and you know, like because 45 plays was 43 plays, and then 44 plays. It just doesn't end. Like it's and we update it every few years. And play, play scripts is lovely enough to republish it. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great. But we thought the, the pitch that I was making to our two new co-writers when we were, you know, when we were hunting down uh, Sharon Green and Bilal Dardai, I was like, this thing's going to have a great ending. You know, it's like, we're not going to have to keep writing it. It's going to, yeah. And, and like, we'll actually be able to like, you know, I mean, the show it would have like a powerful ending. Like we could work on that. It wouldn't just be like 45 discrete plays that stop with a, you know, like a, a lovely bow at the end, but like, you know, we'd actually be able to lead to something. Um, and then, of course, we all know how that 
turned out. So we had to like, you know, we're... spoilers. It's... Yes. <laughs> and like, who's going to write Melania? And it was just, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> so, and so it was just like, so, so it's, it's weird, but also kind of like not surprising. Like, I don't know if it's just like, some kind of evidence that astrology is a thing but like you know when when we got to producer to we, we got the we got the new features we're going to premiere it and then we had like five other companies that were gonna go after it so we're gonna have a we're gonna have a rolling world premiere which is gonna be really exciting and like yeah um and that those are all obviously on hold um and uh and at first it was kind of like you know do we trash it do we hold what do we do um, and it was really Chloe, who's one of their co-writers. She wrote for Presidents too. She's the one who saved the project. I think we were all kind of like, I don't know, because I think none of us are super excited about the, the medium. This will be my first foray into it. It'll be interesting to see how I. I, I actually liked writing it. Um, oh gosh, I'm talking too on patriarchy. Um, but, <laughs> um, but but uh, but. She she was the one who was really like, you know, no, I really think we should do this digitally and here's why. And she made the pitch and she sold us. And um, so it, it I would say uh, it was not that hard because of the neo-futurist aesthetic. Like it, it just the way that those plays work, those short plays that the yeah. company produces um like it translates really well to this play being done in five different places in people's apartments yeah yeah so for those who don't know uh neo futurists is an experimental theater troupe focuses if i'm not wrong it focuses on a fusion of sport poetry uh theatrical journalism brevity honesty and affordability yeah that's a, like, was like close yeah that's like i think that was like our old mission statement uh, that's like that's like a good academic way of I think the easiest way is like we like play ourselves, we don't play characters, we don't suspend disbeliefs, we don't try to say this play is happening in like France and and like the audience isn't there. So it's so easy to just do something, translate something like that to Zoom, you know? Yeah. 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 Um yeah. so this writing was pretty easy. It was it was kind of fun and freeing to be like, you know, what happens next? Oh, she she runs over to her own bathroom and throws it away in the toilet. Like, oh yeah, that's funny, right? Like, there was, it was just, it, I felt it, kind of, it was kind of freeing. What, what, how did you feel about the process? I'm sorry for talking so long. <laughs> um, I'm one of the people I think in the, in the writing team that's been brought along maybe like <laughs> dragging my feet toward this process. Um, and I, I really appreciate why I felt like, no, this has to happen now. It has to happen this year. Um, I totally get it. And I think we're very lucky that the neo-futurists had so quickly transitioned to a digital platform. Yes. So they yeah. had switched to doing the infinite wrench online like really quickly. And then it it was extremely successful. So we're very lucky that our producing entity has familiarity with this and does not feel scared at all by yeah. it. Like they're, you know, they're very much on board, which I think is a huge boon. Um, I think, you know, it's a huge experiment. I, and, and, that's very neo-futurist, like this idea of like, let's stand on the precipice and jump off, you know, like what, what? Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, you know, we'll see. It's a big experiment. And I think that um, it, it'll be interesting to see how people react to the play in that format. In my experience so far with the process, theater hasn't died, but it has evolved. And 
in the process of having these theaters shut down, the, the online performances made it far more democratic and far more available mm-hmm. to, to the public. So it's it, it's almost destroyed the elitism. I mean, look, I mean, at, look at Hamilton. You're talking about $250 a ticket in New York. For seven minimum. bucks, you can watch it as many times as you want with better views than if you went to see it live. So I, I think the transition, and I hope the transition is is something that's going to last and people don't get worn out about it, that we just don't become another media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I wanted to talk about is, um, is your process, right? So we've all done Q and A's after a show and there's always that one question that always happens, which is either where do you get your ideas or uh, how did you develop the deeper meanings in the show? And I don't know about you, but for me, the ideas come because I start writing and I just follow the emotional narrative. And the deeper meaning, I usually find editing and then add it in to make myself look brilliant, right? Like it's never planned. It's always accidental. So, I mean, my question is, how do you handle the process of creation writing in the framework of history? Mm where you have that set mm-hmm. timeline that you're adhering yeah. to. Yeah, right, and facts. I think in some ways it's a little easier to be writing things that are based in, or anchored in history because you already then have your framework. So you, it's sort of like it gives you this nice little box to play within, and then really your job becomes figuring out which kernels speak to you, which elements of story are the ones that pop out to you the most, and then that's where you focus all your attention and you sort of dive in and, and tease apart that, that area. Um, I know that for both presidents and first ladies, because we had five writers and we, you know, we sort of divided everybody up evenly, that's really, you know, that's what everybody had to do. And it's so short, like you really only have like two to three minutes at the most to tell each individual story. And so you have to kind of really pick and choose what's the one thing that's the most important yeah. thing, yeah. you know. Well, you're distilling a life down to a page and a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. And I think the whole offering, that process was a little bit different because the heartbeat and the tension of that play, even though, so we had all the history and the heartbeat and the tension of the play became clear really early on. Um, And so we were very, very aware of it through the whole writing process. And actually our revision process, I think has been about making that heartbeat storyline as clear as possible. So sort of like we try to keep it going through the whole thing and not diverge from, we trim everything else away. Um, I don't know if you would agree with the thread. Yeah. 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 Um, And, you know, for me, the process is is different for everything that I approach. It's always like I'm kind of a beginner every time I do it. But I agree with what what you said about history. I think uh, it's nice because you you know, so many stories are character driven. um, But when you're, you don't, the the boundaries of a, of a real person are, are not as intimidating as you might think, because you start, you start reading about them and then they start, feeling like a real person they start becoming a character in your own mind and as long as you don't question well is that what they were really like and you think no no, no. and you just instead it's you feel like oh a character is emerging and it's it's mine it's my mm. interpretation and i i own this interpretation of this person i wrote a play where i had abraham lincoln as a character and i was like he's my abraham lincoln i'm gonna make him mm, yeah. behave however i want but within the bounds of that that persona that that we all know very well um 
yeah, that's all I would add to that, I think. So how did the actual man, when I'm talking Jimmy Carter, who saw <laughs> your show, how did that man react to that caricature of himself? That is so and cool. We're talking about Jimmy Carter, so obviously it was with dignity and with grace. Yes, and kindness, right? But uh, yeah. So I've heard. So you believe it? I was a broke artist, and like back then, and so um, we couldn't get there. Yeah, we, we and the, the, the Secret everything. Service doesn't give you much notice yeah. that somebody's yeah. that the president is coming to to see the show. And it was down in Atlanta, and we just it was like Jimmy Carter's coming tomorrow. Can you fly out? And it was like ah oh, no, like how much are tickets? Yeah. Eight hundred bucks? No, I can't do it. So yeah. um, so uh, but our you know our dear friends were there like doing the show and told us all about it. And there's pictures. He was uh, uh, delighted. It's a very, and, oh. and, and his wife was especially yeah. nice. She said, y'all were so kind to Jimmy. Oh. <laughs> so sweet. That's he so cute. You laughed, yes. He laughed, yeah, laughed, like, yes. He really laughed very hard. He laughed very hard during oh. the Reagan play, which was, was not very kind to Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> so you, yeah. you were honest with Reagan is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the, um, with either uh, play, the the forty five presidents or the first ladies, was there uh, a surprise moment when you were researching the presidents or first ladies where you're like, oh my, like I was thinking the character would kind of go this way, but then you read something that totally changed your interpretation, and you're like, I gotta use this. Definitely, but I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of who. Do you have any, any? Yeah, I would say I think that happened more with the ladies than the men. So one of the things came really clear when we were writing First Ladies is that there is a dearth of information on these women. Um, so much so that there's a whole play about that. Um, like <laughs> specifically about that because it was really frustrating. So what you find out is that while we know reams about all the presidents and it's easy to find resources and you know you can easily search and get 20 things, the women you really have to dig and even then you're you're sometimes not able to find things. The person who surprised me the most out of the first ladies was actually Lucy Hayes because her husband was kind of an asshole. <laughs> and yeah. the what happened with that election was really similar to what happened to the Bush in the Bush Gore situation where they, you know, a, a, a separate body stepped in to make a decision and there was a lot of question about corruption and, you know, all the behind the scenes machinations. So his wife, though, from what I could find was like the loveliest person ever, an abolitionist, an animal lover, a nature lover, generous, like very, very involved in charitable organizations and all kinds. I mean, like you just read about her and you're like, everything about her is just like beautiful. Mm. She's just beautiful. And she is lost to history because oh. he eclipses her. His story eclipses hers. And so we don't pay much attention to her. A lot of the information that you that you do find about women, it's frustrating because it's it's within the context of the the presidency yeah. and their relationship to the president. So you don't get a lot of like, what was their early life like? What was their life like afterwards? Or you know, um, you know, what were who were they outside their marriage? Is kind of gone. Mm -hmm. um, I think I I remember the big gem for me um, was Lucinda Garfield. Um, and it's always like in both plays, it's it's the obscure people that 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 feel the most rich and surprise you the most because, um, you know, you feel like because they're obscure, 
they're going to be forgettable people. And you realize, no, this was the president and the first lady of the United States. It just so happens that nothing really amazing happened during this time. So we kind of forget them, but it doesn't mean they weren't incredible people. So it's, I think I was surprised for every obscure person that I worked on. But I think um, Lucinda Garfield and her husband, James Garfield, what's really amazing about them is that uh, they wrote letters to each other, like personal letters to each other, and they've survived. And, um, and a lot of that stuff gets burned. Lucinda Garfield was uh, the first person. She's, she's the one who's invented the whole presidential library concept. She created the first presidential wow. library um, after, after her husband's death. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the other thing you learn is that a lot of these women did like, in, like, like lasting things. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, things. All the flowers that you see on the side of highways was that was a first lady, <laughs> the wildflowers. Um, <clears throat> and um, so anyway, like uh, she, uh, she, uh, oh crap, what was I saying? You're talking about Lucinda Garfield. She oh, like, it's really, they had this really complicated relationship. And it's like, when you read about it, it was, it's uncomfortable. Like, I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, it has its romantic moments, but like, I mean, he wrote something like the tyranny of our love is sweet was one of the things that he wrote to her. Cause it's like, it's this complicated, like emo relationship. <laughs> and, and you feel like, you feel really like icky being let into it, but it's, but it was, it was really great. I mean, it formed the backbone of the play that I wrote, which is all about their complicated relationship and, and, and she was really like, you know, just like an, an amazing woman who was absolutely caged by this, you know, like, like, like of his era kind of chauvinist, like. The patriarchy, if you will. Yes, by the patriarchy. Yeah. yeah. It sounds, it sounds like a sardoodledom to me. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> does. Yeah. So those are, those are the uh, first ladies and the presidents that you found the most uh, interesting tidbits about. But who's your favorite? Who's your first lady and your presidential favorite? Which one would you be like, that's my bro and that's my gal? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Now, now do they have to be married or do, can yeah. you pick like Abraham yeah. Lincoln and Martha Washington? And like, sure. Yeah. yeah, just yeah. Let presidential them... potential power couples is an entirely different oh, game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be so fun. Shipping historical yeah. figures. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Abigail Adams and uh, oh yeah, and Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, there's your presidential power couple. Yeah, <laughs> which which one's president and which one is uh, it doesn't matter. I'd be happy if they could trade off. To be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, four years here, four years here, just do a sixteen year gig, and I'd be happy. <laughs> uh, on the men's side, I think Carter is one of my favorites, um, and on the women's side. I, there, there were a lot of women I ended up falling in love with. I've always been in love with Eleanor Roosevelt, but actually mm -hmm. having written um, both Hayes and Hoover, they, they were two of the ones that I researched. Um, Lucy Hayes and, and Lou Hoover are both amazing, like incredible. And, and again, kind of, you know, eclipsed in, in their historical, mm -hmm. you know, spot, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. They were both amazing. <laughs> Well, yeah. even what I said goes to reinforce what you were talking about. I know Abigail Adams and I know Eleanor Roosevelt because Personally. they are the two. And they are both amazing. Made, but they're the ones who caused a ruckus and made history. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well-behaved you know? women rarely make history. <laughs> true. It's true. <laughs> um, 
so so guys, if I wanted to see this, how would I do that? How do I get access Ooh, okay. to seeing this play? Okay, so right now, so unfortunately, we don't have like a page yet that we've created. But that's in the works. Okay. So that's the best thing to do is to go to neofuturists.org. Mm-hmm. Go to the homepage, like scroll down to the bottom. There's a button on the left that says join our mailing list. Click on that button and there will be a link, like a little checkbox awesome. that says that you want to know about 45 Plays. So they don't bombard you about everything they do. Or you could learn about everything. Got, got it. They do sound like a really cool organization. Yeah, they are, and I think they are probably you know they are one of the only, if not the only, theater companies in the country that transitioned to online with without taking a hit financially. I mean, yeah. I think there was a, a temporary That's amazing. Dip, but suddenly, wow. and this yeah. is, their ticket sales are now like what they're making now on Patreon is equivalent to what their ticket sales were, and they weren't making oh, wow. like a hundred bucks a week on ticket sales, like they, they sold out like all weekend for like 30 years. So it's a substantial yeah. amount of money that they wow. were able to make. And, yeah. and and so their artists are okay. The, you know, they can pay their bills. Yes. Everybody's working. That's awesome. And they're making theater accessible to people in a time where we can't go to the theater. And I'm yeah. like, like Bob was saying, I really hope that um, like Hamilton being accessible to people all over the world now, like as we go back to a normal, I'd love to see these, these uh, theater be accessible to people who can't afford to go to the theater as much or um, mm. are, are not able to leave their homes yet. You know, I, I, I love that the theaters are working so hard to make these things accessible so that, I mean, I'm dying to get back into a theater, believe me, but it's just so awesome that there's so many people that are making efforts to make it so that theater is still accessible for less money and in a time when we can't leave our houses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Neofuturists.org. Yeah. <laughs> Check the box. And that, so right now, 45 plays for America's First Lady at the neofuturist.org. We will have the accurate date and all accurate links in the description. Join us as we return for our steam pop quiz steam and lie again only on Balderdash Academy go dashers <laughs> welcome back to Balderdash Academy our scores are in last place we have Marie with 24 points next we have Steve with 25 myself with 27 Molly with 43 and one half, and Nate, our four-time reigning champion in the lead, with 54 points. It is time for our second pop quiz. This pop quiz is from the head of STEAM, that's science, technology, engineering, art, and math, Professor Nate Green. Professor Green, what do you have for us today? So, all right. Uh, now, before I table anything here, uh, and we move on to the next period, I want to talk about the periodic table. Now, the periodic. Yeah, thanks. It was a lot. I like. It took me three days to write that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. It shows. It shows. Thanks. <laughs> So the, the periodic table was first uh, uh, published or, or brought out into the uh, open in 1869 by a Russian chemist, Dmitry Mendeleev. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. it was published with the elements that were known at that time. Uh, since then, we've discovered others. We've we've created others. Um, and I want to talk about one of the ones that have been kind of created. Uh, what I want to do here is I want to give you the periodic chart uh, symbol. And I want you to tell me what you think that periodic element is and uh, yeah. and tell me what you know about it. So the uh, symbol is P-U. P-U. Uh, Bob, P-U. I actually would like to start with you. So P-U is very well known to be discovered in France in the 1930s. It was discovered by an anthropomorphic skunk who had a taste for the ladies. It's sexist as hell, but they seem to enjoy it. This skunk would prance around emitting the gas. That gas, it was green in color, was eventually identified as the element putreonium. <laughs> putreonium, by, founded by uh, Pepe Le Pew. Uh, oh, you've uh, heard of him. Yeah. I have. Oh, he's super famous in the science world. Dr. Le Pew yeah. is amazing in certain yes. circles. Yeah, uh, most when, of them are in to... prison now, but still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Molly, tell us oh. a little bit about PU. Oh, I'm so glad you called on me. Um, PU, it was um, so scientists started noticing that after people would eat poo poo platters at their local uh, restaurant, that they would admit. Um, a kind of hormone that is similar to serotonin, um, the enjoyment uh, hormone. And so they tracked this. Uh, they did a really thorough study of a bajillion people um, that were fed poo-poo platters and then just kind of like not. And they tracked it and they, and they found out that this was um, a wonderful hormone that made people really happy and hungry. And it's called... Pulidium. Of course. Pulidium. Okay. Pulidium. I like that. Um, poo-poo platter. Pulidium. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Steve, let's go with you next. Uh, first of all, I gotta say, Professor Green sounds like the guy you'd get weed from in high school. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> Professor Green! Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying... I'm, I'm not saying one thing or the other. I'm okay. just... No, text me no no we all know <laughs> uh, so uh in the in the 90s uh haynes started uh haynes the um undergarment con- conglomerates started uh producing <laughs> underwear you could order you could mail in a slip uh and you could get underwear with your name on it which is like kind of a big thing at the time everyone was very excited to have <laughs> underwear with it i never got one but it would be nice to have you know, a pair of underwear that says steve on it or whatever i don't it's kind of creepy to imagine the implications of why you would ever need that on your underwear but anyway um so they noticed <laughs> haynes started really researching kind of the feedback from their customers the people that were mailing in these slips would get uh, asking for personalized underwear and um they were, were kind of noticing that this weird trend that um they were turning into zombies. Um, I don't know if you heard about this. Um, so something was being released once you put on a pair of underwear with your name on it. This kind of this, this um, it would kind of overtake your entire body, and uh, so it became a, this whole new element um, called PU, which obviously personalized underwear. Personalized underwear. PU. PU stands for personalized underwear. Yeah, it's a it's a literal 
It stands it, for yep. two literal words. I like it. Yeah. Thank you. That's an element. <laughs> yep. It's an element. That's an fundamental. element. <laughs> it's an element to how I get dressed. Marie. <laughs> um, PU is actually short for purine. Um, it was discovered from the tears of, of babies and dogs, the most pure creatures on the planet Earth. They have no evil in their bodies whatsoever. It is full of goodness. It is full of kindness. So if you bottle this purine, which exclusive, exclusively comes from baby tears and puppy tears it but it's the most pure good and it's the only way to 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 spread this pure goodness throughout the world that as you grow and you become a jaded adult you don't have purine anymore only babies and and doggos crack that open that's the main ingredient in purell isn't it yeah (laughs) that's why it smells so good yeah, you like that? It's baby. That's baby tears. <laughs> so much like Voldemort drinking unicorn blood to stay young, I uh, yeah. I put purine in my cereal to stay pure. Oh, you put it in your cereal. You don't look I put mine in my over tea. Thirty-five. I rub it right on my face. <laughs> Like a moisturizer. Um, those are all fantastic answers. Uh, before I get are to they? what it really is, they really are. I like it better than what the real answer is, which I'll get to in a second. Um, let's figure out which one, uh, pointage-wise, uh, was best. I'm going to give everybody who played an even 15 points. Ooh, yes. Because that was really, really hard to... Uh, <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> All deserved. Thank you for recognizing <laughs> that. Fifteen points across the board. <laughs> that was uh, a well-deserved fifteen too. We, we worked hard for that, everyone. I'm proud of all of you. Here's me patting you on the back. A skunk wearing personalized underwear, drinking purity from. I forgot what Molly said. Poo poo platters. Yes, that's what we have when we combine them all. Uh, So 15 points across the board for all that. PU actually uh, stands for plutonium, which is a highly radioactive chemical um, and um, makes my ears lose their buds. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's my favorite element, mostly because it's featured in the biographical movie Back to the Future. Oh yeah, that's a movie. <laughs> that's a movie about two coworkers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the ones who are working, one's working for the yeah, other. The, one. Everyone yeah. knows that they yeah. work together, and one is a boss and one's an employee. We all know that. <laughs> all right, long-standing argument. <laughs> Flashback. The uh, correct answer about the story of an assistant that escapes just in time after seeing his boss die in a terrorist attack is, of course, Back to the Future. A boss is a stretch, though, Bob. That's a stretch. He works they're, for them. They're just they're just friends. <laughs> they're weird friends that are he like works for thirty them. years right. apart. But so this has been a Balderdash Academy flashback. <laughs> <laughs> Comic editor's note, right? All right. So our next game is lie, lie again. I will read a weird or unusual fact about a select member of the faculty. This statement can be the truth, or it can be a lie. 
our visiting professors and fellow faculty members may question the subject to better understand whether or not the statement is the truth or a lie. Either way, the subject must convince us all that the statement is true, no matter how absurd it sounds. Our statement. Molly was once in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Isn't that right, Molly? That is absolutely correct, Bob. All right. Who has our first question for Molly? What did you do that made you have to be found? (laughs) I assume Uh, you were the perpetrator they were looking for. (laughs) No, I I actually played the victim. Hmm. Oh. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. You played the victim. So what what was the what was the mystery that needed to be solved? Whether or not right, she's from con- Canada. <laughs> <laughs> That's been solved. <laughs> right, yeah, um, sorry. The, the mystery that, that needed to be solved is is comedy gold. Um I played <laughs> I played a molested child uh, that was molested by the priest at their local church. Okay. Oh. All right, no she This is true. So we, we can just end it there. It was Comedy one of those gold. light-hearted laugh riot episodes. Okay. Uh, right, okay. uh, you know, but I will say this, uh, the episode aired and he was he was found. Oh, awesome. Um how old That's were you when you did this? Where did you were you uh, your age playing a child or was this <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, no, I think comedy gold. Comedy gold. I think I was uh, probably about like 7 or 8, maybe 9. Okay. Maybe 10. I didn't Where was this filmed? This was filmed in Maine. So this was for the original <laughs> There him? he is. We found him. <laughs> That's, That's the him. culprit. <laughs> For our podcast listeners, Nate has just drawn a quick uh, policeman sketch of the, the, perpetrator. Oh, the perpetrator. That's pretty spot on. But yeah. Nate, I'm wondering how you knew what he looked like. Oh, oh, uh, oh no! Oh, oh! Your great description, as witnessed in the episode that you're, you were in, that aired in the year. <laughs> Fill in the blank. What aired year did in it the air in? Year. Oh, you're asking me. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. When did it air? When did the episode air? Uh, hold on. Let me do some quick math, which is my strong suit. We all know. Yeah. <laughs> you get that with marketing, don't you? <laughs> uh oh. Uh, it was probably like '94 ish. Okay. So it was on television, not the Netflix reboot. It was on television, and um, we tried to record it on VHS, but you know, back in the day, anybody over the age of 27, back in the day, you'd have to really like just like sit there with the record and play a button and just wait, 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 and you go up and get a, you know, a drink in the other room and you miss it. And, and then you'd miss it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think we have like a part of it, and I, it's somewhere. Uh, did you get paid for this? Oh, wow. Once again, for our podcast listeners, Nate is doing a, some visual comedy. <laughs> you should come watch the video. Yeah. Yeah, just um, watch the video. Uh, Molly. Um, now, last week, Marie, I believe this was Marie's last week, she talked about shooting a national commercial in yeah. Maine. Yeah, no, it's regional. Both you and I grilled her a lot about that because we, we both yeah. know like large productions in Maine don't happen that often. Um, why was this filmed in Maine? Why was this um, your scenes filmed in Maine? 
Because it was a Maine story. Uh, this priest was actually from somewhere up in northern Maine. Uh, I'm going to say like Callis or something, but that's probably wrong. But it was something very rural. And so they filmed it there. And I was uh, um, a child actor and model with a, um organization out of Augusta. And so they hired us and I auditioned and I got the part. Hmm. All right. Any other questions for Molly? Mm-hmm. Was it your first paid acting gig? Cool. Not first, but you did get did, paid. Did mm-hmm. you get to meet Robert Stack? I didn't. Okay. She's malarkey. I almost walked I, off. I believe you. As a seven-year-old. Did they have a <laughs> table while you were filming? Did they have a what? Sorry. Craft table, like craft services, where you could go get food. Good, good question. Thank you so much. I don't think so, but they had about- water. Oh, wait. Yeah. At least water. Yeah. Yeah. What about a what about a craft table that they won't mind? They won't mind. Yeah. <laughs> We're just bottling their tap water and selling it back to them. They're never gonna notice. <laughs> it was complimentary, Bob. <laughs> complimentary tap water. <laughs> Bottled How I like water. my tap water. Um, this is this. Yeah, I don't. I've when never... was he caught? When was the? When was the priest Sorry, caught? So a lot Good of question, Marie. <laughs> uh, w- uh, after the episode aired, so we got notified. Um, I think like we filmed it and it probably aired probably like I don't know six months down the road or something. And then they told us like within a month that after it aired, they found the guy. Which is really cool. And Unsolved Mysteries is now back on Netflix. So I'm like, come on, replay the winners. <laughs> Ooh. I like how you call them the winners. As well, yeah, we, we got the bad guy. You won. We got him. It's um, like it's the lottery. If we find the bad guy, we win. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a scratching it. Like, oh, I found the bad guy. <laughs> I found Waldo. Any other questions for Molly? How long was the shoot? The shoot was... One long day. Okay. I think. How many scenes were you in? Uh, I had four different, five different locations. In one day? Oh, wow. That's a long day. It was a very long day. It might have been two days. I don't really remember. Also, you're a child actor. Were the laws different yeah. in the early mm-hmm. 90s? Yeah, okay. There no, were no laws. No. There were no laws yeah. about children in the early 90s. <laughs> Wait, in all fairness... <laughs> In the 90s in Maine, I could work at my family's restaurant at 12 and get a license at 14 because that's how old you needed to be to operate farm equipment. And in all honesty, what is worse than an outlaw? An in-law. An in-law. Wow. (laughs) Seriously, guys. It's crazy. I just thought of that. (laughs) Such a good joke. I'm sure you did. I hope we keep doing that joke over and over because it's it's gold. Did you have to, All right. do, you, do you have to become SAG after to do it? Nope. Ooh, good question. So you've heard the questions. Now let's hear your theories. Uh, hmm. How about Marie? Marie, what do you have? I'm always wrong, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I, I'm very bad at the actual guessing of this. Um, but simply because you were seven. And you have that many locations. I don't think that. I don't think that a, a like a producer of a shoot would make a kid stay for that long. So I'm going to go with lie. Mm. Lie, Nate. Is it the truth or is it a lie? 
I I've been wrong on I think almost all of Molly's. Um, <laughs> Me too. But I I can't vote against what I believe, and I, I all the logistics point to it being false. So I think it's fake. Why? All right, Steve. Is it the truth or is it a lie? I, I too get all of these wrong. I, I, at least now, both Marie and Molly know that they can lie to me anytime and I'll never know the difference. That's, that's one thing we've learned from this show. I agree with both Nate and Marie's reasoning is that it does seem implausible. But Mo- see, the thing is, Molly knows this stuff. She knows kind of the mm-hmm. the uh, the industry because uh, she works in it. So I feel like she would know better than to give us these facts that seem implausible. So that's the only thing is making me loop back and be like, well, maybe this wild thing did actually happen. But I have to go just like with, Nate, with my gut. I do think this is a lie. Um, mm. But I, I, I'm looking at Molly's face. She's just so excited to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> All right. Ginebra, you have three lies. What do you think? Is she telling the truth or is it a lie? Um... I guess I'll break with tradition and say that she is telling the truth. Telling the truth. Andy, what's your call? I think she's telling the truth. As soon as she said it was comic gold, that mm. sounded like the kind of thing that you would say over the years. Mm. Like 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 every time I bring every this up, this that's story. the joke that yeah. I tell before I before I tell. Right. This sounded right, so right. familiar. Think, she was so quick to come up with it. But now I'm hearing she's an amazing liar. So I'm kind of... <laughs> all right so we have the faculty all have lies we (laughs) have uh, our visiting professors both have truths molly what's the story there was this one scene where we were driving in the backwoods of Maine, because he's supposed to be driving me home. And I had to pee so bad. And I was supposed to act uncomfortable. And I was doing the shot where I was like looking into, sorry, I'm an earpiece, looking into the um, car, the side mirror, right? And I'm like being uncomfortable. And it turns out like it was the perfect face to make. And my dad actually... (laughs) Made them pull over and uh, put me in a and got me in a bathroom and yelled at a store owner so I could use the bathroom because they said if you don't buy anything, he said, Fine, I'll buy a coffee. And it was actually five locations. It was in a car. We had to look like that's too much for a seven year old. It was a very long day. I sat in a church for hours, um, but it was in a car. It was driving. It was in church and it was uh, looking at out the window as he drove away very sadly and being like, and my mom being like, What's wrong? And I was like, <laughs> so I just reenacted so it for you. It's true. Oh my wow. god, that's so cool! Come on, I, I oh, still don't so want to believe cool. you. Man. I hope they put this on Netflix for real. That, I want to uh, see this so yeah, bad. This clip of you lying to us, <laughs> <laughs> not lying to us. I have so, never, now- I've never had to go to the bathroom so bad in my entire life, <laughs> and to this day. But I was so shy to speak up. And say, because yeah. it was this big ordeal, yeah. you know, and once I whispered to my dad, my dad told them, they're all like, oh, you're fine, you know. So yeah, they put um, they put all of the old episodes of Unsolved Mysteries out on the Peacock streaming platform. So I did not care to go back and watch them. But now I'm going to try and hunt down that one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to screenshot yeah. and be like, that is Molly's pee face right there. <laughs> yes. I know what Andy, that Ginebra, like. how would you like to score? Uh, I think, is it my turn? It's your turn. 
Um, I'm going to give 10 points to me and Andy. Okay. Oh, there you go. You got it. Nice. That's a very good call. 10 points awesome. each. Awesome. I mean, to be All fair. right. <laughs> it does. <laughs> That's perfectly fair. All right. Uh, that is the end of our first half. Our points are in last place, our visiting professors, Andy and Ginevra, with 10 points. <laughs> Next. <laughs> You're almost there, guys. Next. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> we have Marie with 39 points, mm. myself with, uh, Steve rather, with 40 points, oh. myself with 42 points. Molly with 58 and one half points. Wow. And Nate in the lead with 69. Nice. 69. Well done, inappropriate 12 year olds. Almost. So, <laughs> uh, join us me? when we return with Coach Steve and Mask Charades only on Balderdash Academy. Go Dashers. <laughs> we all have a story is a podcast dedicated to learning more about the folks around us, one person at a time. We'll chat with accountants, bus drivers, entertainers, novelists, beekeepers, piano tuners, booksellers, artists, and more. Check out We All Have a Story using your favorite podcast app or service. Welcome back to Balderdash <laughs> Academy. Our points are... In last place, we have our visiting professors with 10 points. Next, we have Marie with 39 points, Steve with 40 points, myself with 42 points, Molly with 58 and one half points, and Nate Green with 69 points. <laughs> All right. That marks our halftime with our halftime trivia coach of the dashers steve corning thank you guys so much for rejoining me here at halftime we're gonna play a little game now called i need a pitcher not a belly itcher Uh, how this game works is before this segment (laughs) um you each suggested a location and then i assigned you guys a different location that was suggested by oops i just punched a lamp by one of the other faculty (laughs) check out our bonus episode next week and you can see that setup it's pretty funny uh okay so uh, what's going to happen is they each have a location, and um, what is going on right now in in sports news is the NBA, as of recording, is about to start their restart their season inside a bubble uh, at Disney the Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. And I kind of we're doing this alternate reality where the NBA was taking pitches from other locations, uh, kind of competing for that same spot. So our four contestants here are going to each pitch to me, the NBA, why their location would be better for hosting the rest of the season, the playoffs and the NBA finals. All right. So we're going to start, of course, with uh, Headmaster Bob and Bob, um, the location you're pitching is Hawaii. That's right. That's right. Uh, First off, thank you for hearing me out on this. You know, basketball is an American institution. It's something that we as a nation love. But what we love even more is vacation. Right now, we can't take that vacation. Mm -mm. We are either trapped inside or refusing to do so. Either way, we can't go anywhere. So hear me out. Hawaii, the Hawaii, the entire state of Hawaii becomes an NBA paradise. 
Each game played on a separate island. Each island shown in its beauty and in the center. A court. No crowds. Just the beauty. Why? Because, you know, we don't need to play basketball in an arena, in a stadium, in a tennis court. It doesn't matter. We play outside. We don't show the adoring fans. We show the lush jungle, the exotic beach, the Walmart down on Honolulu Drive. We have the capability to be one thing for all Americans, and that is the destination of basketball. Wow. Only Um, in the Hawaii. Wow, that was that was a really good pitch, Bob. I will say I don't think the players union's going to like playing all the games outdoors. Um, but I'll get back to you on that. I think that's a pretty good pitch. Um, just thinking about the the sun sunlit Walmart um really brought some tears to my eyes. Marie, what are you pitching yes. for me today? Um, as somebody who knows so much about basketball Mm. and the physics of basketball and the orientation of the court. And there's there's been a lot of controversy of the shape of the court recently. And there's been a huge, yeah, they wanna make it a round court. So in an effort to make this really take off across the US, the most prime round room is the one and only Oval Office. So, oh, interesting. Okay, I, we we're gonna take the NBA and 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 put all of them, all of them, right in the Oval Office. Um, and not only are all of the players going to be in there, they are also going to become the hoop. Um, and so instead of actual hoops, it will be humans. Wow, cats this, to this receive the ball. So it's 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 an interactive. It's not it, the, the players are are doing more than they've ever done before in a much more confined space, which raises the stakes so high. And also, wow. you're going to get a whole lot more national attention because it's coming straight from the Oval Office. Wow! Three points from the Resolute Desk. I would pay to see that. <laughs> <laughs> is is the uh, is the eagle that attacked the president going to be there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's the mascot that's, for the Oval Office. All I needed yeah. to know. Yeah, I love that eagle. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> thank you so much. So so far, Bob has pitched an outdoor uh, basketball tournament, and Maria's pitching a, a, an insane change of the game. Brand where new shape court. The players and the media are are hoops and. Yep. Who knows what else? This is this is really exciting stuff, guys. And I love how you're kind of yeah. getting outside the box here. I really like this. Let's, let's rethink basketball. Um, Marie. I mean, not Marie. Yeah. <laughs> we just did Marie. You know what, Marie? Well, nice job. about the Oval Office? <laughs> no, I want to come back to you and just say, great job. Let's go to Molly, who's, whose name also starts with an M. Molly. All right. Um, well, you know what's really important in any sports across the board is cross-training. Right. You can't just be out there shooting hoops all day long, running the court. Is it good for you? Sure. Is it practice? Absolutely. But are you going to be on top of your game? No, you're not. What you need to do is bring something else into it. What you need to do is cross train. The best way to do that is by holding the NBA in the bubble of Aquabog and Water Park. Water Fun Park in Maine, okay? They have a tide pool. They have a wading pool. They have multiple slides. They have that big bubble thing that just has water falling out of that. You have to grab the rope and climb up. So not only are our players staying refreshed 
and cool, but they have the opportunity to cross train, to really hone all their skills. So when they get on the court, watch out. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned the court there at the end. Where, where are you going to locate the, the uh, court? That's all right. Uh, so we're going to just wipe out all the food stands. All right, just clear that whole section out. That because makes sense. Yeah, we're we're gonna have we're gonna have food trucks come in and feed them. I mean, they were on a strict diet. Let's be honest, yeah. of, of high protein, lots of leafy greens. So we're just gonna wipe out those, you know, like uh, fried Oreos and the banana floats and the, you know, all that. And we're gonna put the court right there, and so which is actually centrally located. So once they play the game, or if they're not in that particular game, they could be sitting in the pool watching the game, or after a really hot game, everybody meet me at the water slide. Wow, that sounds <laughs> that sounds really nice. Thank you, thank you, Molly. Um, great pitch. I uh, love the idea of getting rid of all those food stands and just slapping down a basketball court. Yeah, um, Nate, you, you're bringing us our final pitch. Um, you have a lot to compete with here. Tell me what you're bringing to the table to, to win over the support of the NBA. Absolutely. Uh, so, first thing, Mister NBA. I would like to propose that now those other guys, they're great. They were thinking outside the box. That's great. I mm-hmm. want to bring us inside the box. Sure, Let's sure. get in the box and build a box on the moon. Now we need a box because uh, we need to be able to breathe. We can't be running around playing with all kinds of like spacesuits on things like that. So we need to build a contained environment within the moon. This is going to be great because, uh, it didn't work out very well with the MLB. The, the ball just shattered. It literally went through the glass ceiling, and there was not. It was not good. <laughs> this is good because the goal is to get the ball to go down through a hole. Yeah, traditionally, a yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, um, traditionally, <laughs> traditionally, and you can bring it up a notch. Literally, like okay. you can lengthen the uh, the height of the basketballs uh, hoops. Um, the basketballs can be heavier. You can use like, uh, medicine balls. Um, and, uh, and you don't even need to be really athletic because everything is so much lighter, uh, on the moon. So I think this is going to be a win-win all around. Uh, the issue, the only issue I see here is getting an extension cord long enough to get to the earth. Uh, so that way you can film it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, that shouldn't be a problem. Um, Technicalities, technicalities. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of that. We have a lot of money. Um, thank you, Nate. <laughs> really enjoyed that pitch. Um, so let's now go to our visiting professors. Um, we've heard some great pitches here. Um, honestly, Disney World doesn't compare to any of these. So I gotta, I, I gotta know. know, what are you guys leaning towards? Is it, is it Hawaii, uh, with outdoor basketball and a, and a sunlit Walmart? Is it the Oval Office where the arms of players become the hoops and there's an eagle that might attack anyone at any time? Think of the at any moment. Think of the drama risk, on on TNT. Oh man, that's gonna be incredible. Is it, of course, Molly with her uh, her bubble at Aquaboggin where they're gonna just play the games on the debris of old food trucks, or is it Nate building a glass ceiling on the moon? Where players will not only be wearing masks, but also spacesuits. What do you guys think? Um, so I, I was very intrigued by the Hawaii 
Mm. Um, I think that uh, I think that Aquaboggin edged it out just a little bit. It's that, that refreshing quality, um, and also mm-hmm. because it sounds like Aquafaba every time I hear it. <laughs> it's something yeah. entirely different. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would. How about you? I would go for the Aquaboggin. Was it your turn to? I think it's your oh, turn. I think I, I don't so when you take it, you take it. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go Aquabaga. Okay, Aquabaga wins the pitch. And how many awesome, points to awesome. Molly? Do we give her points? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give Molly uh, 15.5 points. Wow, what? that's huge. That is huge. Now she's got a whole point again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes. 15.5 points. 15 and a half. Wow. I think I know okay. what that means. That is exactly what that means. <laughs> Our next game is called Mask Charade. Andy and Ginevra have both sent their favorite movies to Molly. Molly will then play a game of charades with one of those movies as the topic. The rest of the faculty will have donned blindfolds and will try to guess the movie based on my poor description of Molly's charades. Are we ready? All right. Molly, you may begin. It's a movie. <laughs> That's good. good Three, uh, four words. Fourth word. She's rubbing her belly and laughing. She's uh, throwing something over her shoulder and walking. Santa Ooh. Claus. The Santa Claus part two. Um, Santa Claus is coming, to, coming town? to town. So uh, you Santa Claus. I have no idea which one of those is correct. <laughs> A year without Santa. None of them are correct. Santa. Okay, none of them. Okay. She's holding her hands into a heart. She's doing a heart shape. Ooh. Mowage. Now she's writing uh, letters, it seems, and passing them out. Letters. From she's writing hearts. List? Nope. Um, she's handing love out letters. love notes. She's okay. passing out Valentine's Day notes. massacre. All right. Bloody Valentine. So... Valentine's um, Day is correct or not correct? It's close. <laughs> All right. So Groundhog Day. Oh. <laughs> Wait, so it's Santa and... No, but that's hilarious. And I'll tell you why <laughs> after. Is that um, the other movie? All right. <laughs> no, okay. Four words. Fourth word. Fourth word. The fourth word. She's ho ho hoing and she's second she's holding up a uh a heart. Jeez. She putting her fingers behind her head and hopping like a little lagomorph. Oh my so gosh. Is it, so it's a movie with, with it's, many all of like the holidays. The, something it's, the, um, yes, it's all Guardians? of the holidays. It's something close to that. Legend of the Guardians or something like that? Is that uh, a movie? Um the, no. she's Shawshank Redemption. No. Oh, yes. <laughs> Four words. Shawshank. Redemption. First word. Wait, so the first word is Santa. The, the last first word, word is Santa. Is Santa no, those were all the fourth. All of yeah. those were the fourth word. Oh. Now she's on the first word. Okay. She's looking at the sky with her hands up. Now she's pointing to the ground. Now she's looking around. Now she's pointing at herself and pointing to the ground. Okay. Now she's pointing behind her. Now Jason she's pointing confused. to the ground. Everywhere. Now, I am very much dazed and confused in this, but oh. I don't think that's it. Is she's it the Harold and Kumar herself. Christmas special? 
And now she's pointing down, pointing at herself, okay. and now pointing down. And she's this dead, is the dead. first word. She's in the grave. She's ha- she's uh, holding her hands above her shift. head in a like point. a halo, falling like a- oh. down. She's a saint. She's driving somewhere, opening up the door, getting out, closing the door, and driving now hey, Saint here she Nicholas. is, right oh, there. Nice, there she is. Pointing Good. herself Cadillac to man. right where she is. Uh, Miss Congeniality. Right here. Two. Something um, with mythical creatures. <laughs> um, she's. We, we need the. Is she doing literal Harvey? words or is she still doing the movie? She's doing literal words. <laughs> first word. Can she do a scene from the movie, maybe? <laughs> sounds like. The first word sounds like. Uh huh. She's looking around, not knowing where she is. Confused. She's. <laughs> Lost. She's lost. Okay. Back to this. And fourth word. Fourth word. Lost. Fourth word. She rubs her belly, ho-hoing. She makes a heart out of her hand. She puts her ears, (laughs) fingers behind her head, as if they were ears. Jurassic Park Lost World. Now she's throwing things up. Okay. Gross. Like... Out of her mouth or in the air? Yeah. All right, we're at time. What's the first word? Home. I was home. Home, home for the holidays. The first word. That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, My, the first thing I do when I get home is just look around everywhere, very confused about where I am. Guys, it was the holidays. And Where then I tried I to, obviously, I was showing that this was my home. Why were you growing up? <laughs> and then oh, I tried you nailed to, it. And then Good. I tried to do first word sounds like, and I was like, nothing sounds like home. <laughs> I was like, bone? Foam? I was like, but they're not going to get Those that. Those are all hard, yeah. yeah. What were uh, you no. throwing up? Uh, those were fireworks because they were the freaking holidays. Fourth of got, July, oh, Santa, my. Easter Bunny, okay. Valentine's, Valentine's Day. You, but, so, right. but the funny Molly. thing is, the funny thing is, is that uh, their other movie was Groundhog Day. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should have done that. All right. So, Ginebra, Andy, how would you like to score? <laughs> oh. How do you score that? I mean, okay, so I think any way you want. Good question. Good question. He should clearly get the most points for for winning. For so he, he gets twenty points, um, and then uh, everybody else gets fifteen. Everybody else gets fifteen. Thank you. Yes. All right. I need an everybody gets button. I got to program that. That's <laughs> true. All right. So our points are. In last place with 35 points, our visiting professors. Next, we have Marie with 54 points, Steve with 55, myself with 57, and a tie between Molly and Nate with Uh 89 points. (laughs) Join us when we return with a pop quiz from Marie and Technically Correct. Only on Balderdash Academy. Go Dashers! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my dear goodness. Oh god. Welcome back to Balderdash Academy. Our points are in last place. 
Our visiting professor with 35 points. Next, we have Marie with 54, Steve with 55, myself with 57, and a two-way tie between our reigning champion and our most winning champion, Molly and Nate. So well done, Molly and Nate. Wow. Consistency. It's time for our final pop quiz of the night. This pop quiz is from the head of Home Ec and Wellness, Professor Marie Stewart Harmon. Marie, what do you have? Yes. Well, as the professor of home economics, health, and wellness, I have something that ties both things in. Um, As somebody who's trying to always make sure waste not, want not, um, as well as consume things that are good for my health, like bananas. So I have a little something here that is new to me. I've just learned it recently, and I would really like to hear some input from you guys, and then I'll tell you how you can implement it in your life. How in the world could a banana help my garden? Steve, thank you. You (sighs) seem to know right away. I really do. I've been uh, thinking about the same problem. Um, Now, bananas are great for potassium. They're delicious if you eat them at the Mm -hmm. right time. Um, one thing people don't always know is they're also very stylish. And uh, a lot of people on this show have seen me wear my headband, as, you know, Coach Steve, Showtime Steve. You know, there's always a headband. What you can actually do is headbands are very important to your life, um, especially when you're out in the sun this time of year. There's a lot of sweat coming down into your face. So what you can do uh-huh. is actually fashion a beautiful uh, headband out of uh, two to three bananas. And it's called a bananda because it's like a bandana. <laughs> banana so there you go all right thank you your ban- so just ben- wear your ben- banana ben- around your head banana. and you will not get sweat in your eyes and therefore be way better at gardening that is a very useful piece of advice there thank steve you. thank you so much hey nate how about you how could a banana possibly help my garden well uh if you're gardening i'm sure you're doing it for you and not for the groundhogs or the squirrels or anything like that. Um, they go after their own food. They don't need your food. Um, they want it, but they don't need it. How do you keep them away? Everybody knows that bananas attract feet and they slip and fall. So you line your garden with banana peels. So that way, anytime a little varmint gets near them, they, they have to step on it. And then they go slip and fall and set up a, um, this is just this uh, beside the point, set up a uh, game camera because that stuff is hilarious. Comedy Watching, goals. They go up in the air. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, no, they usually don't go high enough to get hurt, but it's so funny. Watch it. You'll thank me later. All right. So, okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Banana peels for slipping up on the rodents. Um, mm-hmm. Molly, how about you? What, what could bananas possibly do for my garden? Well, uh, for anyone that's eaten a banana, when you open it, you know that the aromatics of the banana fill the room, right? You can't deny the smell of banana, right? They are potent. Absolutely. So what you want to do is you want to get yourself several bananas, depending on the size of your garden. Um, You're probably going to use probably two bananas to every square foot. Okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to take your bananas, you're going to open them up, you're going to mash them into kind of like a little paste, and you're going to use the... Uh, peel as the applicator. You're going to smear that on the the peel. You're going to gently 
rub that on the leaves of your plants, tomato plants, cucumber plants, chives, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, it will not hurt anything and it actually will keep pests away. But what it does is it camouflages the goods of your garden via smell from wildlife. So they will just be walking on their marrying way, walk by and they'll be like, whoa, who's eating a banana? Definitely doesn't smell mm-hmm. like cabbage to me. I'm outie. Camouflage. Right. Banana camouflage. Yeah. Banana flash. All right. Banana flash. Oh, like that's that. pretty good ha- too, Molly. Banana flash. Wow. <laughs> um, Headmaster wow. Bob, do you have any like suggestions that. on why one would need a banana in their garden? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, bananas are unique for a couple of different reasons. All bananas that we see in the stores are clones of a single plant. Uh, uh, The bananas are the world's largest berry. Those two things combined make them perfect for gardens, simply because bananas, the berry, are self-cloning. If you were to bury a banana in your garden... What happens is these bananas will eventually (laughs) clone themselves. And as they do, they begin to rot, leaching nutrients and potassium and phosphates into the soil. With the right application of self-cloning banana berries, you could have a completely beautiful garden without any fertilizer needed. That is terribly interesting. Thank you, Bob. Um, These are all really possibly helpful answers um but i would like to go to our our guest faculty here for a moment and do you have any feelings or points that you'd like to award for any of any of these fine answers we've got steve's bonanza where he has fashioned several bananas (laughs) to keep the sweat out of his face while he is gardening um, we have Nate using the banana peels to slip up potential rodents. Um, we have we have Molly who is helping deter <laughs> all creatures from her garden with the smell of the banana by rubbing the banana with its peel onto the plants. That's it's, yeah, yeah, you could do that. And then we got business. Bob's self cloning <laughs> and potentially rotting bananas that are in the garden already. How do you, how would you score all of this? Gosh, I think those are all really amazing ideas. Um, I think though that I'm going to have to give um, 13 points to Nate for the 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 visual of the the little animal slipping and and 14 points to Steve for banana. Ooh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have I should have said Molly's banana flage again because that was also quite clever. That is really good. Yeah. Um, that thank you, professors. That was some of you were a little bit on to something here. Um, not only are bananas really good for you to consume, but the peels are very, very helpful to your garden. I've learned this recently. A very good friend of mine, when she is done eating a banana, she cuts the peel up into very small pieces, like an inch wide, perhaps, and you soak the peels in water for three days. At the end of the three days, you take the peels out, and that water is so full of potassium. You said potassium, Bob. And it is a nutrient-rich water at that point, and um, it helps plants grow stronger roots, and it distributes the nutrients over time better because of the way that it's basically an extra-fast composting liquid. Um, I'm going to go home and do this. Um, I have been told you really should put a lid on it. Put a lid on it and don't... It gets stinky. That's a stinky garden. 
that's a and but it is it makes your your plants grow stronger bigger brighter it's it's like the, I've, I've done a little bit of research on this now and i can't wait to do it nate did you have a question excuse me professor um why would i want to make my garden stronger if i could just drink the water and become a a superhuman myself. Ooh. You know, I'd really like for you to report back on this next week, Nate. I would really like right. for you to drink some <laughs> banana water and tell us how it goes. <laughs> I, I, w- I will leave some in a glass and drink it <laughs> on camera tomorrow. All right. <laughs> That'll be a bonus segment. <laughs> Just two minutes oh. of Nate drinking some banana oh. sludge. <laughs> All right. Our points heading in to technically correct. In last place, our visiting professors with 35 points. Next, we have Marie with 54. We have myself with 57, Steve with 69, Mm, Molly with 89, and Nate with 102 points. Wow. Nate. (laughs) He did it again. Our next game is called Technically Correct. So, I will read a description of a movie that is technically correct. Our faculty members will come up with an answer as fast as possible. Andy and Ginevra will award points based on the answers that they like best. Sound good? Everybody ready? Yeah! All right. Our first movie, a boy and girl discovers that the only way to win the game is not to play. Steve, what's your answer? Uh, the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. Yeah. Nate, what do you got? Jumanji. Jumanji. <laughs> Marie, what's your answer? Uh, I'm going with the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> blue, blue, <laughs> blue Lagoon. Molly. Uh, Space Jam. Nice. Space Jam. Welcome All right, so. Jam. We have Steve with The Hunger Games, Nate with Jumanji, Marie with Blue Lagoon, and Molly with Space Jam. The answer, a boy and girl discovers that the only way to win the game is not to play, describes War Games. It does describe The Hunger Games also. It does also. And Jumanji. They are technically correct, but the answer was War Games. Ginevra and Andy, how would you like to score? Uh, I got to give 15 points to Marie for The Blue Lagoon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice. I, that's yeah. absolutely. 15 to Marie. Good. Our next question. Employees steal their boss's secrets and go on the run while accidentally kidnapping a young child. Based on the looks, I'll read it again. Employees <laughs> steal their boss's secrets and go on the run while accidentally kidnapping a young child. Nate, what do you have? Leon the Professional. <laughs> <laughs> Leon the Professional, Marie. Uh, 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 Pineapple Express. <laughs> Pineapple. So we're basically just doing a best of right here, right? Yes, Molly, what's your answer? Um, clerks. <laughs> clerks and Steve. Uh, look who's talking. Look who's talking. <laughs> All right, so we have Nate with Leon the Professional, Marie with Pineapple Express, Molly with Clerks, and Steve with Look Who's Talking. The answer of an employee who steal their employees steal their boss's secrets and go on the run while accidentally kidnapping a young child describes Time Bandits. 
Oh, that's good. <laughs> I like that. How would you like to score? <laughs> Molly. <clears throat> what was Molly's answer? Clerks. 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 <laughs> Classic. So, the start of the Viewisk universe. Our next. A con man attempts to marry a child uh-huh. to escape prison. Marie, what's your uh, answer? Uh, I, I got nice. Okay, Molly, what's your answer? Uh, oh, brother, where out thou? Oh, bro. Steve, what do you got? Uh, Leon the Professional. <laughs> Leon. <laughs> <laughs> That's too close to accurate. Nate. Uh, I'm going to go with the HBO film, uh, The Art of the Deal. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Okay. And Marie, what, what do you got? Uh, you, you can do it. Other than a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> um, Con Air. Con Air. Okay. Con Air. Nice. <laughs> All right. So we have Marie with Con Air, Molly with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Steve with Leon the Professional, and Nate with Art of the Deal. The answer of a con man who uh, attempts to marry a child to escape prison describes Beetlejuice. Ah. Uh, <laughs> oh. That's fair. Yeah. Dang. Beetlejuice. So how would you like time, to like score? Uh, oh, I got to go 15 points to Nate for, yeah. for Art of the Deal. Yeah. 15 points for Art of the Deal. The only time that's received praise. Our (laughs) next statement. Fans find out their favorite reality show is fake. Marie, what do you have? Uh, Purge the election year. (laughs) All right. Molly. What's that movie? What's that movie called? (laughs) That's what I was doing. Oh, God. I can't remember what that movie's called. That's okay. okay. We'll give you a break. Steve, I, no, what's your I'm gonna answer? Go, I'm gonna go, I got one. I got one. I'm going to go with Wayne's okay. World. Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Steve, what do you have? The Truman Show. Truman Show. Ooh, Good answer. Yeah. yeah. And Nate? Death to Smoochie. <laughs> <laughs> Death to Smoochie. All right. So... Fans find out their favorite reality show is fake describes Galaxy Quest. Ah. Oh. Yes. Oh. So we have Marie with Purge the Election, <laughs> Molly with Wayne's World, Steve with The Truman Show, and Nate with Death to Smoochie. How would you like to score? I'm going to give 15, uh, 15 points to Marie for Purge. <laughs> 15, 15 points to Marie for Purge. That was our final technically correct And now it's time for our moral. Mm. So after listening to what we said tonight, after playing the games, after talking with our visiting professors and after spending time with each other, the moral of tonight's program is very clear. If you're the first spouse, cause a ruckus, because if you don't, there's a chance you're going to be lost to history. Yes. Amen. So pick up pole dancing. It worked for me. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So our final points in last place, we have our visiting professors with 35 points. Wow. Next, we have myself with 57. 
Steve with 69, oh, Marie with 84, end, and we are down now to Molly Ooh. and Nate. No. So which one did it? Did Molly hit her fourth time or did Nate hit his fifth? Well, the answer oh. is that Molly's points are 99, which means Nate once again for the fifth time in Balderdash Academy wow. is our winner with 117 points. Nice job, Nate. <laughs> So, what can I say? We had great judges. <laughs> <laughs> Andy and Ginevra, thank you for joining us tonight. You can find more about their upcoming projects in the links in the description, including websites, times. It should be all there, both in the video and in the podcast. Thank you for visiting us at Balderdash Academy. I've been your headmaster, Bob LeBlanc. Joining me has been Coach the Balderdash Academy Dashers, Steve Corning. We'll get him next time, guys. There we go. Our mm -hmm. uh, professor of STEAM five-time winner, oh, wow. reigning champion, Mr. Nate Green. We'll get him next time, guys. <laughs> professor <laughs> of Home Ec and Wellness, Marie Stewart Harmon. I'll get you. I'll get you all as long as Nate drinks that banana water. <laughs> and professor of English language arts, Molly McGill. Contrary to what I was told, a pocket full of dog treats will not give you luck. <laughs> Make the dogs happy with you. Thanks for joining us. I've had a lot of fun. We'll see you next time. <laughs> this is Bob. The theaters might be closed, but there are still shows to catch, and one that I recommend is 45 Plays for America's First Ladies by Chloe Johnson, Sharon Green, Ginevra Galabayades, Bilal Dardai, and Andy Bayades. The show leaps from comic to tragic as it surveys the lives of the women who have served and avoided serving as First Lady, from Martha to Melania a biographical, metatheatrical, genre-bending ride through race, gender, and everything else your history teacher never taught you about the founding of America. Live performances October 8th and 9th at 7.30 p.m. Central and October 11th at 2 p.m. Central, or catch their recorded show October 13th through November 2nd. Tickets are only $15, and the show is appropriate for high school-aged kids and up. You can find more information online at neofuturists.org, or check out the link in the description. Balderdash Academy was produced and edited by Bob LeBlanc. Theme music by Thinkfish Tank. Performed and written by Steve Corning, Carla Rose Dubois, Nate Green, Randy Hunt, Bob LeBlanc, Molly McGill, and Marie Stewart Harmon. Copyright 2020, Robert J. LeBlanc and Steve Corning. All rights reserved. Go Dashers! Good night and thank you for listening to the podcast. We have options available if you'd like to support the show directly or show your school colors with some Balderdash Academy merchandise. For more information on the show, support options, or merchandise, please visit our website at balderdashacademy.com. Thank you for listening and have a good night. Loving what you're hearing? 
Now imagine if you could actually see Molly's point-winning angry face, Marie's up-close-and-personal lean-in, Nate's... Where is he now? Is he in the bathroom still? Steve's coveted sweatband and Bob's juggling of all things tech. Yeah, it gets pretty wild. See all this and more by catching episodes on Balderdash Academy's YouTube channel.